Thank you, Pastor. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. Wow, what a wonderful, wonderful atmosphere of the Holy Ghost is in this place. Amen. Some folks say, well, I'm, I'm not sure about all this. I'm not sure about, about all this worship and the way everything is and taking up all this time. Well, I'll take this any day over dead church. I'll take this over predictable church. Amen. You know, when you can predict what they're going to do, they're going to sing three songs. They're going to take up an offering. They're going to have a special song. And they're going to preach a sermonette for all the Christianettes. Amen. And then they're going to go home. Well, that's predictable. Amen. I want you to know tonight, today, our God, first of all, our God is a predictable God as to his character. He's predictable as to his character. But he's unpredictable as to how he's going to do his work. You don't know how God's going to work. Amen. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is holy today. He's holy yesterday, and he'll be holy tomorrow. You can predict that about God. You can predict the fact that he's a merciful God. You can predict that he's a God that's long-suffering. You can predict that he's a God of, of great power. He's not going to change. He is predictable. But he's not predictable when it comes to how the work is done. The first time they came to water, they needed to cross. He had them raise a rod and the water's divided. Second time they came to the water, he said, you're going to have to put your foot in the water before I divide the water. Amen. He healed a blind man one time by spitting in his eyes. And then the next blind man, he spit on the ground made a mud pack, put it on his eyes, and said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. You don't know how God's going to do the work. Just because he did it one way this time, doesn't mean he's going to do it that same way next time. That's why I like to go to church that's unpredictable. You don't ever know what God's going to do. You don't ever know what's going to happen. You need to thank God that you, that's the kind of church you go to. Somebody shout amen. amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I heard a story one time about family that went to church on Palm Sunday and they came home. One of the boys was sick and uh, he couldn't go to church that morning. So they came home and they had these palm leaves in their hands. And they said, he said, what in the world is all that about? And he, they said, well, they said, um, this is, this is what we waved, and this is what they waved whenever Jesus passed by. You know, whenever back on Palm Sunday, we, this, is, this is what they were waving when Jesus passed by. And he said, wouldn't you know, the one Sunday I don't go to church, Jesus shows up. Woo! 
I'm glad I go to a church that he shows up every service. Whether I'm here or whether I'm not here, he's still going to show up. Well, well, great to be here. Love and appreciate your pastor and his good wife and family. Uh, my wife is with me, but unfortunately, she's did not do very well last night. She's hoping to be here tonight with us, and I'm looking forward to that. And so, uh, but we love this church. We love this uh, work that's going on. Passed by the new facility on our way into town on Wednesday, and what a beautiful sight to behold. And I know you are anxious to shout and dance and run the aisles in a whole new place. Hallelujah. Amen. And just in case your pastor forgets, then uh, when the new building is finished, I'm going to invite myself back to preach. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, thank God. Let's go to the word of the Lord, Proverbs chapter 22, reading one verse of scripture, verse number 13, while I'm while you're finding that in Scripture, uh, we do have folks that are connected in India and Africa to this service right now. Would you make them welcome in Jesus' name? Amen. They are watching, watching and worshiping with us. Thank God. Proverbs 22:13 says, "The slothful man saith, "There is a lion without." I shall be slain in the streets. The slothful man says, there is a lion without. I shall be slain in the streets. I want to talk to you today for a few minutes on this thought. The bondage of excuses. Praise God. The bondage of excuses. I feel this today in the Holy Ghost. And everybody shout amen. amen. God bless you. You can be seated. The word slothful means lazy. And a synonym that is describing slothful is that of a sluggard or one who is indolent. Sluggard and indolent are synonyms of slothfulness. So what is it about a sluggard or a slothful individual? Well, you have to understand that they are not a self-starter. To a slothful person, one day is as good as another. He assumes that what he does not do today can just as easily be done tomorrow. The problem with the sluggard is that he does not understand the value of time or the meaning of seasons. So his basic philosophy is this. It is to live for the moment and let the future take its own course. Amen. And so a, slug, a sluggard or a sloppy person essentially is one who does not want to take responsibility for his own actions. Everybody else is the problem, not me. Amen. Anybody know some? You don't have to raise your hand. Anybody know somebody like that? 
They don't want to take responsibility for their own action. And this is a great problem in the world that we currently live in. Society today is plagued with this attitude. In fact, it's almost in epidemic proportion. And so when we read Acts chapter 2 and verse number 40, the, the, the preacher on the day of Pentecost preached about how to be saved, repent, and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children, to all that are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. We have a portion of what the apostle Peter preached on that day. But verse 40 says, and with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. So there was a lot more preached on Pentecost than what's in Acts chapter number two. And we don't know what all Simon Peter said. We don't know everything that he made as far as declarations that day. We don't know what the, the, uh, the, the particular words that he used, but we have the sum of the message. We have the balance of it wrapped up in one statement, save yourselves from this untoward generation. You know what Paul or Peter was trying to tell them on that day? It's your responsibility to save yourself. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you, it's not your children's responsibility to save you. It's not your husband's responsibility to save you. It's not your wife's responsibility to save you. It's not even your pastor's responsibility to save you. It is your responsibility to save yourself from this untoward generation. You got to make up in your mind, I'm going to pray. I'm going to worship. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to make the glory world. You've got to decide that for yourself. Somebody shout amen. In fact, in fact, when you study the New Testament from that scripture, save yourself from this untoward generation, from that verse all the way through the balance of the New Testament, there are actually 40 references to your personal responsibility where your walk with God is concerned. Now, I'm not going to read all of them, but here's a few of them. Yield yourselves to God. Give yourselves to fasting and prayer. Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Problem with our world today is folks want to examine everybody else but not examine themselves. Woo. I saw some folks this morning examining this church and the service that was taking place. Your problem is you're examining the wrong thing. You need to examine yourself. Now, I could preach a while right there. It's your job to examine yourself. It ain't your job to examine everybody else. 
Woo, Lord have mercy. I'd like to preach there for a while. Amen. Examine yourself. And then he said, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Amen. It's easy to stand in church and start judging everybody else while they're singing, while they're making melody, but you don't have a melody in your own heart. You don't have a song in your own heart. Because you're too busy judging everybody else's song. Judging everybody else's melody. He said, submit yourselves one to another. He said, withdraw your, notice the term yourselves, yourselves, yourselves. He's talking about personal responsibility. Withdraw yourself from every brother who walks disorderly. Now, that's got news for you, friend. I don't have time to walk with folks who don't want to be obedient, who don't want to follow the will of God, who don't want to listen to their pastor, who don't want to work with the church, who thinks they have all the answers, that they're right and everybody else is wrong. I'm sorry. I don't have time for those folks. He said, obey them that have rule over you and submit yourselves. He said, humble yourselves in the sight of God. Nobody can humble you. They can humiliate you, but they can't humble you. You have to humble yourself. Some of y'all ain't heard me yet. I can humiliate you but that's not what you need. What you need is to humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Some folks wonder why that they're never, they're not being exalted, they're not being used, they're not out front. It's because you never humbled yourself. You're waiting on folks to exalt you whenever if you would humble yourself, God would exalt you. God will put you where he wants you. Hallelujah. I think I'm just going to take all these verses and make a sermon out of it. Amen. Building up yourselves praying in the Holy Ghost. Oh, glory to God. I saw some folks this morning that if you'd have been praying instead of talking, you'd feel a whole lot better in the spirit right now. You spent all the worship service talking when you ought to have been praying in the Holy Ghost. Because when you pray in the Holy Ghost, you build up yourself. You build up yourself. We're waiting on everybody else to pray you through. Pray yourself through. Build up yourself praying in the Holy Ghost. Amen. There's over, there's actually over 40 references that speak directly of our personal responsibility to our salvation. The one thing in scripture that we are instructed not to do is usually the thing that we always do. He said, avenge not yourself. 
The one thing we're told not to do often is what we do. And that's try to avenge ourselves. He said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I'll repay. Leave the vengeance side to me. I'll handle the naysayers. I'll handle the negative Nellies. I'll handle the people that are judgmental. I'll take care of them. So we live in a society that is constantly looking for someone else to blame for their problems. They're looking for somebody else to blame for their misfortunes in life. I'm going to tell you what we really need. We need a generation that will rise up and assume responsibility for their own life and for their own future. Well, hallelujah. I'm going to lose some of y'all right now. I feel it in the Holy Ghost. But I'm going to tell you, we got to guard ourselves against this entitlement mentality that everybody owes us something. The church owes me. The pastor owes me. Government owes me. Society owes me. I got news for you, friend. God don't owe me anything. I owe God everything. I owe God my life. I owe him my world. I owe him my breath. I owe him everything that I have or ever hope to be. I owe it all to God. Amen. I'm going to tell you all. Every time you stand and clap your hands and shout, it's going to make the sermon longer. Hallelujah. But it's an entitlement mentality we're fighting in our world today. It's an attitude that everybody owes me something. I've heard people say, well, I'm not going to come back to church anymore because the church wasn't to me what I thought it ought to be. And I'm like, excuse me? Have you been to the church what you ought to be? Now, now listen, the scripture said that Jesus gave his blood. He bought this church with his blood. Uh, listen, listen. He bought it with his blood. The question is, is he getting what he paid for? I said, is Jesus getting what he paid for? A church without spot, without wrinkle or any such thing. A church that loves him back for the love that he showed to them. Amen. All right, let me get to my message. That's all the announcements. Hallelujah. Let's get back to the slothful man. Because the slothful man is lazy, and that's, that's the problem where the entitlement mentality is concerned. Folks are just lazy. They don't want to work. They don't want to put in a, a good 40 hours. 
They don't want to be loyal. They don't want to be committed. I knew it'd get quiet. Amen. But because the slothful man is a lazy man, listen, he creates an imaginary problem that excuses him from doing what he should be doing. Or the imaginary problem justifies him staying in his house or the place that he is in. Let's go back and read the verse again. The slothful man says, there is a lion without. I shall be slain in the streets. There was no lion in the streets. It was an imaginary lion. It was an imaginary problem. And because he had imagined a problem, he felt like that would justify him staying in the house. It would justify his laziness. It would excuse him from from doing what he ought to be doing. Amen. So I'm preaching today the bondage of excuses. Because what excuses do to your life is bring you into bondage so that you cannot do what you ought to do. And you cannot become what you ought to become. Because you've got too many excuses as to why you can't do it. Woo, hallelujah. Because he creates an imaginary problem The slothful man lives in the prison of his imaginary problem. I've come today and I'm preaching to some people that you are living in the bondage of your excuses. But today I'm not just going to preach about your problem. Hallelujah. And I'm not just going to preach about your excuse. What I've come to tell you is there is not a lion in the streets. And it's time for you to come out of your prison. Come on. I brought you a get out of jail free card today. Come on. I said I've got you a get out of jail free card today. You need to come out of where you are. Come out of the prison that you're in. You need to get free from your fears. You need to get free from your doubts. You need to get free from your inhibitions. Quit imagining problems that are not a reality. That shut you down. That bring you into bondage. That enslaves you. You need to declare like the Apostle Paul when he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can't do it by myself. I can't do it alone. I can't do it in my flesh, but I can do all things through Christ who empowers me, Jesus Christ, who helps me, Jesus Christ. And when I start imagining things that are really not real, it's Jesus that steps in and says, come on, we'll fight this battle together. If you will put up on the screen 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. Can you do that real quick? 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 3. Somebody shout hallelujah. 
Amen. Everybody shout hallelujah. Oh, Lord, I feel Holy Ghost all over this place. Amen. First, Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse number three. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you right now, Grandma's slow, but she's ahead of you right now. Second Corinthians 10 and verse three. That's Second Corinthians four and verse four. Hallelujah. Apparently we didn't go to the same school. <laughs> I'm sorry, folks. I feel too good here today. Amen. We'll get there. Just hang on a minute because I want you to see something. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Let's look at the next verse. Now I want you to notice something. The next verse, if you look, it's in parentheses. It's, a, it's what we call a parenthetical statement, meaning this, that those words were not actually in the original. But those who translated the Bible were trying to clarify what was being communicated, what was being taught. And so they added this. It wasn't that they added so much to the word of God because as you see, it's a parenthetical statement which lets us know why it was put there. It was put there to try to explain further what was being said. First of all, we, we're, though we're after the flesh, we don't war Though we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. So look what he said. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. That's a parenthetical statement there. Our problem is oftentimes we preach from the parenthetical statement and we say that we need to first pull down these strongholds. That's really not what the Bible is trying to communicate to us. He's telling us that we have strongholds that we need to be pulling down. That we need to be tearing down. And then verse number five tells us what those strongholds are. And the very first stronghold, glory to God, that he said we need to do is casting down imaginations. Well, tell you what our biggest problem is. Our first and greatest stronghold is right here. It's what goes on between our ears. It's our thinking process. It's our thought process. It's the imagination that every last one of us have got active imaginations. I said we all have active imaginations. Well, amen. Well, I'd run the aisles, but I'm afraid so-and-so make fun of me. That's your imagination. You are creating an imaginary problem. And because you create that imaginary problem, you won't run the aisles. Well, I'd run up front and dance a little bit because I feel like dancing before the Lord. But if I do that, so-and-so's going to talk about me. They're going to make fun of me. You've created an imaginary problem right here. 
and that imaginary, that lion that's in your mind is keeping you in your seat. Come on now. Well, I'd live for God, but, but, but if I live for God, I'm not going to make it. I can't live like that. I can't. Well, I got news for you. None of us can. None of us can live the way we live of and by ourselves. Let me tell you how we do it through the power of the Holy Ghost. But the devil will cause you to imagine that you can't do this and you can't do that. I can't give a Bible study. I can't witness to anybody. I can't do this. I can't do that. I just don't have what it takes. And so it imprisons us. It locks us down because we're struggling with the greatest battle that we have in our life. And that is the imaginations of our minds. All you're doing is living in the bondage of your excuses. You've created excuses that are imaginary excuses. Woo! Pulling down strongholds. That's not the first thing to do. That's the identifying factor of what the next verse is telling us. Casting down imaginations. I could preach the rest of the verse, but I'm not going to because I got other things I feel like to, to say here today. But here's what I want to, I want to just drill this home right now. And that is that you, you can struggle your whole walk with God with nothing more than imaginary problems that shut you down. Well, praise the Lord. Well, I'm going to sit down because you're going to have to sit down to take this next one. Well, I can't tithe because if I tithe, I won't have enough money left to pay my bills. I saw this a few days ago, and I've been waiting to use it, and I just feel the Holy Ghost right now to use it in this service. They wanted to know, does your, does your master pay taxes? Does he tax? Does he pay his taxes? And, 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 and so uh, they, they, they talked back and forth there for a few moments. And finally, Jesus said to Simon Peter, said, Simon, go down to the water, and I want you to catch a fish. And the first fish that you catch, whenever you catch him, open his mouth, and there will be a coin in there. He said, I want you to take that coin. Listen. He said, take that coin and go pay for me and you. Because when God gives you whatever it is he gives you, he always gives you enough for him and you. Amen. He gives you enough for him first. You got to notice the, the way he positioned that in scripture. He said, go pay for me first and then for you. Now you got to understand what's going on here. And that is the fact that Simon Peter 
had decided, I'm going to connect my life, I'm going to connect my world to Jesus Christ. And when you connect your life to Jesus Christ, you hear this preacher when I tell you that he will always give you enough to pay your tithes and pay your bills. Come on, he'll always do it. Some of y'all can't say amen. Some of y'all can't agree because you're living with an imaginary excuse. You're living with an imaginary excuse in your own mind. Let me tell you what your problem is. Let me tell you what your problem is. You haven't done what God told you to do. He said, prove me now herewith. You see, because you don't tithe, and I'm, I'm sorry I'm on, on this if I need to apologize, but I'm not going to apologize, but because it's, it's the Bible. In fact, you go read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus talked more about money than he did anything else. Amen. And, and, and so, so our problem is we've never proven God. He said, prove me now herewith. If you bring all the tithe into the storehouse, prove me. I'll open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive. Prove me. He said, prove me. I got news for you, friend. Man will let you down. Your banker will let you down. Your lawyer will let you down. Your friends will let you down, but God will never let you down. When God gives you anything, he gives you enough for you and him. Now that'll preach right there. Somebody shout amen. We got to cast down these imaginations because they're, they're typically, they're imaginary problems. They're imaginary excuses. And you're living in bondage to that. Jesus came across the, 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 uh, the sea of, of uh, Gennesaret and, and comes to the land of the Gadarenes. And the Bible said in Mark 5 and 2, when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. No man could tame him, no not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshiped him. Now, when, when the devils that were in that man identified themselves, they said, we're legion. That's who we are. That means, by definition, that that would probably be somewhere around 6,000 devils that was in that man. Now, I got, I got news for you. That was not an imaginary problem. That was a real problem. I said, a real problem. 6,000 devils living inside of a man. 6,000 devils that no man could tame. 6,000 devils that they bound with fetters and chains and he broke them in pieces. 6,000 devils had him living in the tombs, had him cutting himself with stones. 6,000 devils, amen, they could not bind him, not even with chains. They could not control him. But when he saw Jesus, 
6,000 devils couldn't keep him from Jesus Christ. Listen now. If a man with a real problem could not be kept from Jesus, how much more ought you and I with our imaginary problems ought not to be kept from Jesus, ought not to be kept from worship, ought not to be kept from praising him, ought not to be kept from living for God. Ought, come on, come on. Your imaginary problem ought not to be stopping you if 6,000 devils couldn't stop a man. My, my, my. So David's running for his life. Saul's chasing him. And according to 1 Samuel 22, he escapes to the cave of Adullam. His brethren and all of his father's house heard it. They went down to him. And then his Bible said everybody that was in distress, everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, how'd you like to have a church full of folks that are in debt, that are discontented, and that are in distress? Thank God for a few folks, it's not like that. Can I get a witness? They gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them. How would you like to pastor 400 people that when you looked out, all you saw was distress, discontent, and debt. <laughs> Amen. But if you look in that same chapter, about two more verses down, the Bible said the prophet Gad said unto David, I don't care where you are, I don't care what your situation is, God's got a message for you. God's got a preacher for you. The prophet of God came to David and here's what the prophet of God said to David. Abide not in the hold. Don't stay in this cave. Get out. Depart. And here is where he sent him to. He said, I want you to depart. Get out of this place and get to the land of Judah. Mm, hallelujah. Because you see, Pastor what the prophet understood is you can't fight battles in a cave. You can't train an army in a cave. You can't win victories in the cave. You got to get out of the cave. You can't plant a crop in the cave. You can't cultivate a crop in the cave. Come on. You can't have a harvest in the cave. If you're going to have a harvest and if you're going to win victories, you got to get out of the cave. Woo. He said, let me tell you where you need to go, David. Go to the land of Judah. We all know what the name Judah means. It means the place of praise. Come on now, hallelujah. Some of y'all all bound up in the cave. You're in the, you're in the cave of your excuses. You're in the cave of your imaginations. You need to come out of that cave and find you a Judah. Find you a place to shout. 
find you a place to dance. Find you a place to magnify God. You want to have the victory? Learn how to praise him. You want to have joy? Learn how to praise him. You want to get out of the cave? Start praising him. You want to get out of bondage? Start praising him. You want to get delivered? Start praising him. Come on. Are you tired of living in the imaginary problems? The jailhouse of your imaginations. I got to hurry. The roast is going to burn if I don't hurry. I just want to bring one more thing to your attention here. Jesus came, he came to the sheep market in Jerusalem, a place called Bethesda, had five porches, and there was a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, of halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. Because an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatever disease he had. There was a certain man that was there. He had an infirmity 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said, Wilt thou be made whole? And the impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. And while I am coming, another steps down before me. That's not what Jesus asked him. Don't give me all your excuses. I don't want to hear all your reasons. I want to hear all your excuses of why you hadn't been healed. I ask you a question. Will you be made whole? That is a yes or no. That's all. all it's a one word answer. Yes or no. Hallelujah. I'm, 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 like the, I'm like the little boy that his mama, he kept, he kept getting in trouble. She finally sat him down and said, she said, you sit there until I tell you you can get up. And he looked at his mama and said, mama, I might be sitting down, but I'm standing up on the inside. And, and, and I, I'm, I'm feeling that way right now. I'm, I, I'm looking all composed on the outside, but I'm jumping up and down on the inside. I feel this thing exploding in my spirit. Sometime all God wants is a yes or a no answer and we got to give him all these excuses. Amen. I want you to listen to his excuses. He said, sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pools. His first excuse was saying, I don't have anybody to help me. I don't have anybody to do anything for me. I'm left all alone. I'm by myself. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to eat some worms. I know what some of y'all were thinking. <laughs> Hallelujah. Some of y'all ain't old enough to know that 
that nursery rhyme from where we grew up. But I'm going to tell you, he had that, he's just like, nobody's here to help me. And there's some folks that their excuse is, nobody helps me. Amen. When the waters are being troubled, when the power of God is flowing, when the Holy Ghost is operating, when things are going on in church, some of us just waiting around for somebody else to help us. Well, praise the Lord. I'm going to preach to you right here. Amen. Church don't pay my light bill. Church won't buy me any groceries. Church won't. Listen, I'm, I want to tell you something. We do a lot for people. I'm in the business of helping people, all right? But I'm going to tell you, we are not a social services company. We're the church. We're here to pull people out of hell. Now, we help a lot of folks. The, the issue is not whether we're willing to help or not. It's your attitude that says the church ought to help me. And if they don't, I'm not coming back to church. Yeah. Amen. Well, when you come back tonight, we'll know how many folks like this this morning. Because if half of you don't show up, then we'll know. <laughs> Amen. You might be like the little girl that, that uh, or the little boy that is. His mama was standing there talking to the pastor and telling the pastor how much it blessed her, how much that sermon blessed him. Oh, the sermon blessed me. It filled me up. It was food to my soul. And she went on and on and on. Finally, when she took a deep breath, he reached over and patted the boy. The pastor then said, what do you think about it, son? He said, I got my belly full too. <laughs> Some of y'all might get your belly full this morning and not want to come back for more. But I promise you, it won't be quite as hard tonight. All right? Come on back. We'll rub some salve in it tonight. I got a feeling this ain't the first time you've heard this preaching. I got a feeling this ain't the first time you've heard some things I've been saying here today. Amen. The, the second thing he said, which was a different excuse, he said, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Everybody's always getting theirs, but I don't ever get mine. Everybody's in front of me. I'm always last. And then I don't get what I want. I don't get what I need. Am I, am I talking to any, any, am I preaching to anybody here today? Amen. You got all these excuses as to why you're where you are, why you're in the condition you're in. And Jesus is just saying, I want an, I want an answer from you. Do you want to be made whole? And he, he, he gave all these excuses. And when Jesus spoke to him, he didn't say one thing about his excuse. He didn't offer sympathy to him. He didn't offer a pat on the head and on the back saying, well, it's going to be all right. You know what he did? He looked at him and said, rise, take up your bed and walk. Get up from where you are. <laughs> Hallelujah. Get up. Now, now, when I read certain verses in Scripture, my little pea brain starts going into overdrive. And I start saying, why? Why did Jesus say that? Why did he say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? Why didn't he just say to the man, rise and walk? 
Why did he say take up your bed and walk? Because here, and it's just my little interpretation here, all right? And, and whoever preaches this later, they can give you theirs. But I just have a feeling that that bed represented his condition. That bed represented his life. That bed represented where he had been for 38 years of his life. And what Jesus was telling him was, take up your bed because I don't want anybody else laying in that bed. Don't leave that bed behind for somebody else to lay in. Take up that bed and start walking. Get out of where you are. Don't leave that bed for somebody else. You know, one of the saddest things that I see, I watch this, I've observed this in many years of life and preaching, and that is, and by the way, for those of you that don't know it, just a month ago, I celebrated my 70th birthday, so, amen. I am an official old man today, and if I tell stories the second time, I have a right to do that. Amen. It's sad. It's sad to see that that same, the same attitude toward life is being passed from one generation to the next. We live in a time where there are dysfunctional situations, families, and homes. And it saddens me to watch parents pass that same dysfunctionalism down to their children. There needs to be some moms and dads that take up the bed and say, my children are not going to live where I've lived. My children are not going to be bound by the drugs I've been bound by. My children are not going to be bound by the alcohol that I've been bound by. My children are not going to be bound by the things, the sin of this world like I've been bound. Don't leave this dysfunctionalism to your children and them grow up with the same attitude toward life that you grew up with. Let's stand. I'm, I'm quitting. I'm not done, but I'm going to quit. Amen. Excuses will bring you into bondage. It'll lock you down. It'll lock you up. It'll put you behind bars. You can go to church. You can sing. You can clap your hands and still be in bondage because your excuses have imprisoned you so that you cannot be. Listen to what the Bible teaches us. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said. He said, the spirit lusts against the flesh and the flesh lusts against the spirit so that you cannot do the things that you would. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that flesh and spirit, when there is a constant battle between flesh and spirit, you never become what you want to become. At some point, there's got to be a victory. Amen. At some point. At some point. 
because because there's a constant battle between flesh and spirit, flesh and spirit. You come to church and you get just enough God that you rise up a little bit, but then you go back out on Monday and you're struggling again with lust and you're struggling again with all the situations in the world around you and you're struggling with cigarettes and you're struggling with alcohol and you're struggling with drugs and then you come back to church on Sunday and and then you go back out and you do it again. You gotta come to a point where you decide... I could have victory over this. I could get above this. I can be delivered from this. Because when you're constantly back and forth, you're never gonna get anywhere. But if you ever make up your mind, I'm living for God. No more excuses. No more imaginary mind, imaginary problems. No more lions in the street. I'm coming out of where I am. I'm coming out of my cave. I'm coming out. I'm picking my bed up. I'm, I'm, I'm getting up from where I am. I'm tired. Come on. Let me just tell you, the Bible said that that man had been in that condition for a long time, 38 long years. I don't care how long you fought your battle. I don't care how long you've gone through what you've gone through. There's victory for you. How long you've gone through your problem means nothing to God. In one moment of time, he can turn it all around. He can give you deliverance. He can set you free. There's some folks here this morning, you ought to get out of your pew this morning. You ought to walk down here and say, I'm tired. I'm tired of living under the stress of imaginary problems. I'm tired of living with excuses. I'm tired of being bound by excuses. I'm tired of feeling like I can't survive this. Come on, it's time to have deliverance in this house today. It's time to have a breakthrough in the house. Yes, come on, it's time to have a breakthrough. Come on. It's time for us to kill some lions here today. Come on, you need to kill your lion right now. Come on, kill a lion. We need to leave some lion's blood on the altar here today. Leave some lion's blood on the pews because you slew a lion this morning. You destroyed a lion. You destroyed a lion. Hallelujah. Come on, let's leave the carcasses of some lions in this place today. Leave the carcass of some lions in the altar. Kill your lion. Hallelujah.